This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm Will Johnson. This show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. 57 minutes. 57 minutes going from one city to the next, terrorizing innocent people all throughout. Just way too long. 57 minutes. The average mass shooting is about six minutes. It's also in an isolated area. But that was not the case. This is just something that the world had not seen. It was a typical Saturday afternoon in the neighboring cities of Midland and Odessa, Texas. That is, until it wasn't. Gunfire erupted, chaos followed, and dozens, if not hundreds or thousands of lives were irreversibly altered in a matter of minutes. It's a story that's probably all too familiar for most of our listeners in the United States. One person decides to pick up a gun and use it to unleash terror on an unsuspecting public. For these two West Texas communities, that terror started with a traffic stop on Interstate 20, one of the main routes connecting Midland to Odessa. Just after 3 p.m. on August 31, 2019, Texas Department of Public Safety troopers pulled over the driver of a gold sedan on the Midland side of the highway. As the cop was, uh, or as the the police report says, uh, the DPS officer uh, was walking up to the car. He just opened fired with an assault rifle, um, I believe through his back window, and struck that officer. Dana Morris is a weekend anchor and senior reporter with News West 9, KWES. I guess he shot there and then continued, then just started uh, sporadically shooting. I believe he shot several people on that highway and took off down the highway. He was kind of... So Midland and Odessa are neighbors. He he was driving down Midland. Uh, he was driving from Midland towards Odessa. 1838, we have an active shooter on the interstate. There's another gunshot victim at 125 mile marker, westbound. We have an active shooter on the interstate westbound. Uh, shot some people on the highway and then got off on uh, kind of into the city and uh, from everywhere, uh, you know, you're on a little bit more populous roads getting from that highway into the city. He's at some stoplights and some stop signs, was just randomly open open firing on people. This was a Saturday, meaning the News West 9 newsroom was pretty empty. Morris was one of few staff members in the office when calls about the shooting started coming in. It started with one phone call, and then uh, it, it was something about a shooting. And they said... Uh, there's a, there's a shooting. Do you know anything what's going on on Highway 20? And, uh, you know, immediately you start thinking, okay, if it's a shooting, it's kind of serious. Uh, maybe it was an officer-involved shooting. You know, your, your mind doesn't really, your mind doesn't go to mass shooting. But then another call came in, and then another, and another. And it soon became clear that this wasn't an isolated event. One of the callers mentioned a shooting at Twin Peaks, a restaurant in the middle of Odessa, about 15 miles away from the site of the initial shooting. And now I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is not good. We're going to need more people. If there's, if there's a shooting at Twin Peaks, and they're like, there's a huge police presence at Twin Peaks. There's a, is, what's going on? Has there, is there a shooting out there? And then we're getting more calls. And I, I kid you not, and this is by no exaggeration, our phone started ringing so much that I couldn't pick up the phone tell them that we're looking into it and hang it without the phone continuing to ring because we have a multi-line system. So the phone was, it never stopped ringing. And then the phone call that really changed that entire day for me uh, was I got a phone call from who I'm, I'm a, is a good source of mine that I 
rely on for a lot of information, Laura Nodolf, the Midland County District Attorney. And it, it came to my personal line. And she said, Dana, <clears throat> we have an active shooter. This is a serious situation. You need to get on the news and tell people to stay inside. This is not under control. Uh, people are getting shot at random. KWES reporter Sammy Steele was golfing with some friends nearby when the shooting started. It was a Saturday, after all, and she was enjoying her day off. It shifted that afternoon. You could hear these sirens kind of out in the distance as we were golfing, and I didn't think anything of it. You know, I knew it was my day off. I imagined if it was anything pressing, I would get a phone call or I would see a push alert on my phone. That phone call came a short time later, asking her to come in on her day off. She quickly began scanning social media in search of more information. I was noticing a shooting was here, and then it was there, and then it was here. And so then at first, you know, we thought there were multiple shooters. And so as I was driving into the scene and my boyfriend actually came with me because he didn't know, you know, what I was getting into, again, only two months out of college and I'm responding to a mobile mass shooting and I am following law enforcement into an active scene. I mean, we are speeding down the interstate. No one is heading into the scene. Everyone is driving out of Odessa. I am cruising down the interstate right behind law enforcement, just trying to get to the scene to figure out what exactly is happening. We're getting multiple calls for different victims at different locations. As far as anyone could tell, the path of the shooter was random, making it all the more difficult to track. I mean, there was no pattern whatsoever as far as where he was going, who he was shooting. I mean, there was no consistency there. That's what made it so challenging to piece together was it just was so sporadic, so random. There was no rhyme or reason to what he was doing. The shooter was now on the move in the city of Odessa, at one point firing in the direction of a car dealership. Steele would later speak with one of the dealership's employees. I heard like loud explosions. I mean, it was gunshots. they shot about five to six rounds in our direction. I seen the um, just bullets flying and... Trevino says there was only one thing going through his mind. Look for somewhere to hide. I mean, get out the way, basically. I mean, it's just everything goes through your mind. As Trevino was taking cover, he realized a family of four that was looking at cars had been shot at. The little girl, you know, she she got hit and, and also the... The little boy, he got shot in his forearm. Um, It was just a crazy experience, just something that I never thought we'd ever have to uh, go through here. The younger sibling, 15-year-old Layla Hernandez, would not survive. What I learned about Layla, she was a spirited, beautiful daughter and sister, and she was helping her older brother, Nathan, pick out a truck, his first truck. It was a family event. They had gone to this car dealership, and they were out, you know, going in between cars, looking at them, and that's when the shooter approached approached the family and looked at Layla Hernandez and shot her, and the brother actually wrapped his arms around her, and then he was shot. The brother didn't pass away. He was injured, though. And then almost the most heartbreaking part to me was paramedics. They weren't able to arrive to the scene for at least 40 minutes, maybe even an hour, because they were just so flooded with so many different calls. And that entire time, the dad was performing CPR on his little girl and screaming, you know, like, 
please no, please no. The mom was hysterical, I'm told, you know, and Layla Hernandez, she was just gone. Not long after firing at the car dealership, the shooter decided to switch vehicles, killing a 29-year-old postal worker named Mary Granados before speeding off in her white U.S. Postal Service mail van. The suspect, the active shooter, is going to be in a mail, white Dodge mail truck, a postal truck. The shooting spree had now spanned over 15 miles, and the shooter was driving a second vehicle, both details contributing to confusion over where he might be headed, whether or not there might be multiple shooters. We have several reports of um, there was somebody in a gold passenger car armed with a rifle driving from Odessa to Midland um, who was reportedly shooting at anybody in their way. That comes from DPS. Uh, we also have reports of from DPS that a man was driving a stolen mail truck. Odessa Police Chief Michael Gerke says the uncertainty of the situation meant law enforcement had to divide forces across multiple locations. You have to say, well, some people are going to go to these areas where we have a, uh, a large concentration of people. So we have to we have to fortify those places, right? Um, some people have to help work the scenes and make sure that they're still safe. You know, the victims are safe while they're waiting for, for ambulance or... Um, and, and then you have people that just absolutely have to roam and try to find this person because now, um, unfortunately, it becomes a hunt. Um, I, that, I can't think of a better term, but that's what it becomes because when you talk about active shooter training and the mindset that goes into that, law enforcement is taught stop the threat. That is the absolute first priority is to stop the threat. And I think that's... That's what led to so much frustration, is that in all of our training, we are taught to go to that threat and stop it. But you can't do that when you don't know where that threat's at. Deputy Corporal James Santana had been working when the shooting started. So initially, actually I had just finished from lunch whenever I was just going to another call. And uh, heading to a call, Got a report from dispatch that a trooper had been shot in Midland on I-20. Santana quickly headed in the direction of the initial shooting, learning more about the situation as he went. Dispatch says there's another gunshot victim at I-20 in the loop. So they give me the description, tell them I'm in the area. I find the victim there, been shot in the leg. I'm staying there. I'm trying to do what I can to help him. And then... They say the shooter's back northbound on the loop. So I tell the ambulance, he's northbound on the loop, coming this way, get him out of here. And they did. Ambulance got the victim out. Myself and a couple other patrol officers were there facing south on the loop, waiting for him to pass by, but he never did. And then that's when victim after victim after victim started coming out. So we said, we can't hold this scene. We need to go. And we did. And from there, I was just responding to victim after victim after victim all over the east side of the city. He would later recall responding to at least five different scenes, eventually getting word that the shooter was at a movie theater on Highway 191 in Midland called the Synergy. When Santana arrived, however, he didn't see any sign of the mail van and turned around. That's when he crossed paths with the shooter. Started driving was checking my computer, looking at the screen for the details, and two bullets came through my door. One hit Santana in the leg, the other in his hand. It could have been a whole lot worse for me. 
it was a lot worse for so many other people that day. So I told them I'm fine. Do what you got to do for all these other people and, you know, just get to me when you can. Additional members of law enforcement surrounded the shooter and exchanged gunfire. The shooter that I shot at the shot is behind Synergy. Uh, they're checking on now. I believe he's going to be dealing. It ends at the Synergy off of 191 in Odessa. There was an exchange of gunfire between police and the shooter. At this point, he was driving a mail truck, which come to find out he had shot a male woman in the suburbs of Odessa, had stolen her car, and was driving towards that synergy. That exchange of gunfire happened, and then that is when law enforcement shot him. Uh, one suspect now in custody. Just over an hour after the first shots were fired, the violence reached an end. The mobile mass shooting was finally over. 63 minutes. 63 minutes going from one city to the next, terrorizing innocent people all throughout. I mean, just way too long. 63 minutes. The average mass shooting is about six minutes. It's also in an isolated area. That was not the case. This is something that the world had not seen. Although the shooter's name would later be released, KWES-TV has upheld a policy of not using his name in its coverage, and we will continue that policy here. And while we may never know what exactly caused this tragedy, we have learned some information about the events preceding that initial traffic stop on I-20. Police records explain that the 36-year-old had recently been fired from his oil and gas job at Journey Oil Field Services. He was fired just a few hours before the mass shooting. He, I guess, had had a heated exchange with his manager. The manager fired him. From there, you know, we slowly pieced together. He gathered his AR-15 rifle, and then that is when troopers pulled him over for failing to signal a lane change. Odessa police records also showed that after he was let go that morning, the shooter had ranted about his co-workers' involvement in a child pornography conspiracy and that they'd been tracking his location. He also called 911 multiple times, claiming he'd been kidnapped and forced to watch child pornography against his will. After speaking with the shooter's employer, law enforcement had been concerned that he may try to return to the job site. When the shooter was pulled over on I-20, he was heading in that direction. And, you know, he open-fired on that officer, so he must have had the, the weapon very accessible, uh, already accessible. So once he was getting pulled over, he was either going to be arrested or he was going to shoot his way out of that. And un unfortunately, he chose the latter and then was able to uh, carry that out. In total, seven people were killed by the shooter, the youngest being 15-year-old Layla Hernandez. The others were 29-year-old Mary Granados, the postal worker whose vehicle was stolen, 57-year-old Rudolfo, or Rudy Arco, 40-year-old Joe Griffith, 25-year-old Edwin Peregrino, 30-year-old Cameron Carltus Brown, and 35-year-old Raul Garcia. At least 23 others were injured in the shooting, including a 17-month-old baby girl who was shot through a car window while her mother was stopped at a red light. Yesterday began like many Saturdays in Odessa with the excitement of children ready to enjoy a few days out of school and parents excited to spend time with their families. Unfortunately, that cherished time was cut short by the sound of gunfire. A night of reflection 
heartbreak, and prayer. We've been through a lot, and we will get through this. It's, it's hard to think about the people that were killed because it was so random, and they were just people going about their daily lives on a Saturday. I can't tell you how many times I've drove up, drove up and down Highway 20, how many times I've drove up and down 191, how many times I've passed that dealership where that, um, that poor girl was uh, shot mercilessly. And uh, it, in the sense that it really could have been anyone, that's probably the scare. I mean, I, I guess with, as is with all mass shootings, anyone could have been in that Walmart, but especially when it hits you in your hometown. One year later, the Midland and Odessa communities, both located in a part of Texas known as the Permian Basin, are still grappling with what happened that day. It's completely changed our entire world here in the Permian Basin, from law enforcement, from everyday citizens. I mean, how we communicate with one another, how we alert one another. I think it brought us closer in a lot of ways. Uh, It certainly brought reporters closer to law enforcement. I mean, the fact that together we lived through a mobile mass shooting and we saw terrible, horrific things that no one should ever have to see in the United States. In the time since the shooting, these communities have made sure the violence of that tragic day wasn't where their story ended. That wasn't going to be the last feeling that you got from the Midland-Odessa area. You were going to know that this community bounced back strong. Um, There were fundraisers for the families that raised thousands and I think hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, in every way that you could pick these people back up, this community rallied to do so. And I remember covering a pretty big game, um, maybe right after, a week or two after this had all happened. And it was Permian, you know, the, the famous football school out here. They were taking on this just amazing team from Dallas. And uh, that team held a fundraiser for, not for their school, for our school. They made, they sold t-shirts. They came with a big check presentation. They invited the families of the victims. And it just, for me, that that was the moment that I realized that You know, people have to stick together and people really do care about people, even if they don't know their names, even if they don't know who they are. When something bad like this happens, you have to help others heal. Hello, True Crime Chronicles listeners. I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm here with Will Johnson. Uh, We actually have a new team member. We want to introduce you all today. And he actually was really instrumental in bringing us this story he did all the behind-the-scenes research and interviews. Reed Redman is here with us. Reed, welcome to the team. Thanks. I'm excited to be part of it. Reed, it's good to have you with us, and what a what a story to t- talk about this week. I have a few questions. I know Spencer will as well. Both reporters talk about this being a mobile mass shooting, and we use that term several times in this story. So that was something that really nobody had experience dealing with, uh, and it sort of added to the every element of this story that it wasn't just in one place. It was all over the place. Yeah, exactly. And that's, um, you know, most mass shootings are over within, you know, about five, 10 minutes. Um, And most of them take place at a single location. So 
This in this scenario, it lasted over an hour, and I want to say there were 15 crime scenes by the end of it. Um, and so it was just really hard for for law enforcement to follow, for uh, reporters to follow, and to figure out what was going on in the moments as it played out. And Reed, do you know how many miles he actually covered? It went on for over an hour. Like you said, we rarely see you know rampages that go on for this long. Do you know the mileage covered that he that he did? Yeah, yeah. I threw the locations into Google Maps, and it's it's about 15 miles. It takes about 20 minutes or so to go from uh, where the shooting started on the interstate, close to uh, in Midland, Texas, all the way to where it ended in Odessa, outside of that movie theater. Um, and so that's part of what contributed to a lot of confusion over whether or not there were maybe multiple shooters involved, um, because it had spanned such a you know big distance, and the fact that he switched vehicles. Uh, people thought that that might not be the case, but he was just on the move the entire time. Reed, what can you tell us about the weapon that the shooter used in this rampage? Yeah, so News West 9 found um, in the days after the shooting that that he'd used an AR-15 rifle um, purchased through a private sale. And why that's significant is that in the state of Texas, a private sale doesn't require a background check. And so the shooter had actually failed a background check in the past um, trying to purchase a weapon, uh, but the weapon used in this shooting he he was able to purchase with no problem. Yeah, I I know that four of the top ten um, deadliest mass shootings in American history have actually occurred in Texas, and I know that this particular rampage came just a few weeks after another mass shooting that happened. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, yeah. This was just a few weeks after a mass shooting in El Paso that I believe uh, left twenty three victims dead. Um, and actually, one of the reporters that I spoke to, Dana Morris, who's on the episode. He had actually been in El Paso covering that for News West 9. He had to come back to Midland and Odessa um, and see the same thing play out in his community just a few weeks after he'd been in El Paso covering that shooting. Oh, my gosh. I mean, there's so many aspects of this story that are just really difficult to listen to. Uh, you know, even just the reporter speaking about you know his, his phone ringing and how he you know just couldn't even— respond like he, he couldn't even pick up on calls that were coming in um even and all the way to the very end where we hear the other reporter speaking about how law enforcement um and reporters in the community are in a position now where they feel more prepared to deal with something like this but you know it's not something you'd ever want to have to be prepared to deal with a mobile mass shooting i, I can't say i've heard the term before the other thing too that struck me was the fact that she was playing golf, you know, on a Saturday and the bravery it took just for, you know, her to all of a sudden say, I'm going to go and, you know, cover this story with my boyfriend driving into this zone of violence. I mean, pretty incredible uh, uh, for her to to step in there and, and do that. Absolutely. And, and she had just started uh, working at News West 9 out of college a few months before that. Um, and so she stepped up and, and immediately was you know, ready to go in and uh, actually called one of her professors. She said on the way over to say, you know, I'm, I'm responding to this. This is kind of the first time I've had to deal with something like this. And she said in the moment, she actually recognized like this is an event that will change my life. Um, and, and she was right. It's so infuriating because I mean, we cover a lot of different crimes on this show, but mass shootings, it's just, you know, they, they, it happens way too often in this country and the trauma and the spider web of trauma that comes from something like this. It's not just, you know, the people that were there, the, the folks that were actually killed or injured, the first responders, the neighbors in the community. There's it, this ripples throughout, you know, the state and the country. And yes, yeah, I mean, Spencer, I will say we, we've discussed this 
story for this week uh, and, and how we would cover it, but I can tell you that News West 9 reached out to us, and it is the one-year anniversary, and they're doing their own special locally. And, you know, we, we haven't covered one of these awful stories uh, on True Crime Chronicles, a lot of other types of crime. But, uh, again, Reed, thanks thanks for looking into this one for us and bringing us these voices. I think it is important to hear. Absolutely. And I would I would recommend that, you know, all of our listeners go check out News West 9's coverage um, that they're doing for the anniversary. And last week they actually put out um, a big piece telling the stories of, of all the victims. I know we told the stories of Leila Hernandez and uh, Mary Granados, but, but all of their stories um, they've been able to report in the time since. And if you'd like to discuss this story or other stories on True Crime Chronicles, Spencer, where can people go? Yeah, we have a Facebook group called Inside the Crime Vault, where we have almost 5,000 members, and we're getting some good discussion in there. So if you want to discuss this case and others like it, other Vault Studios productions, head on over to uh, that Facebook group. All right, Spencer Brudick, thank you very much. Reed Redmond, thank you again. And for Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. We'll be back next week with a new case and a new story.